Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Bharat Babies. Bharat Babies produces children's books about India with a story for everyone. I've featured their books several times on the podcast and through blog posts, but now I've got a special offer for you, dear podcast listener. Visit bharatbabies.com and get $5 off any purchase of $19.95 or more when you use the code READINGISRAD. That's B-H-A-R-A-T-B-A-B-I-E-S dot com with the offer code READINGISRAD. Support also comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling from published authors, illustrators, and editors at Storyteller Academy. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. And one of the things we fell in love with about the school was this incredible library. They got rid of half the library, brought in computers, and called it a library slash technology center. Oh, dare you. What are you doing? It was so depressing. And it's a Jewish school, and I remember the librarian saying, we are the people of the book, not the people of the computer. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Men's room, women's room, family washroom, non-gendered bathroom. As society changes, so do the bathrooms. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 512. Today I'm welcoming Sarah Hoffman and Ian Hoffman, the couple behind Jacob's New Dress, and most recently, Jacob's Room to Choose. Have you met Jacob yet? Have you been invited into Miss Reeves' classroom? Have you experienced teachers and schools at their greatest and also at their most vulnerable? It's a place we each encounter throughout our days, that space where we ask ourselves if we're going to allow someone else in, someone who maybe doesn't look just like us or dress just like us or act just like us. But as Sarah and Ian share in our conversation, the kids are often already showing the way for us, We adults just need to watch and to listen. Please welcome my guests, Sarah Hoffman and Ian Hoffman, authors of Jacob's Room to Choose. I'm Sarah Hoffman, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I'm Ian Hoffman, and my pronouns are he, him, and his. Well, welcome, Hoffmans, to the podcast. I'm grateful to have you here. I'm grateful that I get to meet the folks behind Jacob's new dress. That's so exciting to know that really what's bringing you here tonight is that 
you've you've got a new book coming out. Jacob has another story to share with all of us, and I'm grateful that you're here to share it with us. We're grateful too. Do you, before we jump in too far, do you mind sharing a little bit about Jacob's new dress for those that haven't encountered it yet? I could certainly book talk the heck out of it, but uh, you're seasoned pros at it by this point. Sure. Would you <laughs> like to start? <laughs> okay. Well, we wrote our first book, Jacob's New Dress, because our son, Sam, who was gender nonconforming, wanted to wear a dress to school. And as we got to know parents of other gender nonconforming kids, we realized that there are three questions that they all ask each other right away. The first question is, is your family supportive? The second question is, is your kid's school supportive? And the third question is, how's the school handling the bathroom? So that leads us to Jacob's room to choose because we'd covered the importance of supportive families and schools in Jacob's new dress and we were ready to tackle the importance of equal access bathrooms in the second book. We were ready to tackle the bathrooms. I love yeah. that you just like straight up call it out that there's yeah. these three questions that you always get. If we could have fit it all in the first book, we would have. Right? Yeah. But instead, Jacob has even more to say. So yeah. we hope that there will be books three and four and so on. I was sort of going to hope to lean into that. You know, I'm glad though that. In this story, not only does Jacob have have a separate story to deal with the bathroom, because I think the activity that you build into this, the activity that the teacher leads the children through is beautiful and is uh, replicable. And I really found it to be really, I think, simplistic and, and effective. I loved it. And I also love that Sophie has room in this too, that we get to go through this together. We have two children approaching these two different gender assigned bathrooms and having a friend to just go through. What do I do? I don't feel comfortable. What's what, how do we handle this? Yeah. Right. Because the issues are really the same. They are interesting for us as a parents of a gender nonconforming boy, we ended up meeting lots of other parents of gender nonconforming boys. And it was many years before we heard the girls stories. And uh, it was quite moving to uh, and heartbreaking to realize that they were going through the same things in reverse because it was invisible to us just because of where we were standing. And we could see that there's ways that girls have more leeway. So in Sam's kindergarten classroom, he was the only boy in a dress. And there were girls who wore jeans and girls who wore baseball caps, and that was all fine. But when girls tend to push gender boundaries farther – that's when they run into the same kind of trouble that boys like our son run into. Yeah, you're right. It's sort of girls in the beginning are sort of able to pass a little easier. It's hard that we have such a hard line for boys that dresses are just an absolute no go. Yeah. Yeah. I remember in kindergarten, a friend of mine said, oh, I'm so grateful for Sam because he's really blazed this trail because my son, Mark, likes to wear nail polish, you know, but <sighs> he would never do that at school, but, you know, he feels more okay. And so what I realized is that um, if you, 
if your kid is a little bit gender nonconforming, it's easy to suppress. So that's what Mark was doing. He could just hide his penchant for nail polish. But for, with our kid, it was so huge. It was all he wanted to do, and it was too much to suppress. And, you know, when kids like that are forced to suppress what they want to do, they have all kinds of health and mental health problems. And we just, you know, that's one of the many reasons why we chose to support him in being who he was. But I, I just noticed in that moment how... Um, I don't know, is it easier for Mark or harder? You know, he he was suppressing a part of himself, but it was interesting too that our son kind of paved the way for someone to be a, a little more expressive in his own way. Oh my word, have you read the picture book? There's a new picture book. Uh, I can't think of the publisher, but it's called I Love My Colorful Nails. Oh, it's, I haven't. Yeah. It's sort of exactly about that. It's beautiful. I just, I'll have to find who the author is and link it in the show notes, but it's gorgeous. You would love it, Sarah. Well, look it up. Yeah, it's from a, a small press or a foreign press, but it was one that I felt uh, it, it was brought to mind right away. Oh, Alicia Acosta and Luis Amavisca. There you go. Okay, we'll oh, check it out. So Thank good. you. Yeah. So the um, so your first book, Jacob's New Dress, um, was published by a different publisher, but had the same illustrator am i correct about that yes thank god yeah <laughs> like chris case was on it because that's where in my brain i was like wait did you go this I, I know that this book in particular is being published with imagination press and i just as i said to you before recording i didn't know them for the first book and you reminded me that albert whitman actually published the first so i'm grateful that chris was able to come over on this how how does that work? Were you just like, listen, please, imagination. It really will work best if Chris comes over. <laughs> Everybody loves, well, you know, the authors don't get say on that. It's, I know. Well, that's, yeah. Not, they could see the beauty of Chris's drawings and, um, and artwork. And uh, they, so they reached out to him. And they actually asked us, right? Or did they have him? I can't remember. We just had a discussion about it. We said, if there's any way to get Chris, please. So they said, of course, we'll ask him. Yeah. And he's actually fantastic. He's not just an illustrator. When um, Albert Whitman hired him, he was actually the second illustrator who they had tried to hire. The first illustrator took a look at the manuscript and said, I'm not drawing a boy wearing a dress. He said, I can't draw these drawings and be serious. I can't do it without it being comical. And so. Wow. No, wait. Okay. Bye-bye. Ian, I can't I can't draw these drawings without being comical. Are you kidding me? No. And you know, I I, from my point of view, I appreciate that he was honest about I I would agree. And that brought us to Chris. I mean, and also it showed us how committed Whitman was to this book because it was super brave to say, "Okay, next." You know, we don't want to work with an illustrator who doesn't respect this topic. And Chris completely embraced it, and he's been absolutely lovely. And we haven't even met him in person. We just met him on a Skype class that we did together at University of Vermont a few weeks ago. And he's just lovely. He's 200% behind these books. And we feel so great to have this association with him. It sounds like everything worked out the way it was meant to. Yeah, I would imagine if someone, if the first illustrator even like just did it for the money and then you didn't have any say and the publisher like paid all this money to have them do the book, it'd be really costly to say, to, 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 to try to change it. So I'm grateful no. that Chris was the one clearly Chris was the one to have to be on this. And I'm also grateful that 
that even to begin with that Albert Whitman took that chance on you because as is so boldly advertised on the back of, or at least on the, the arc that I have from imagination press, um, it reads a sequel to Jacob's new dress, which made national headlines by being banned. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that both Whitman and imagination have been really brave to take this on because it is a bit of a lightning rod of a topic. And, you know, especially Whitman who, had not published books like this before. Um, their books, you know, they were famous for the boxcar children and a lot of issue books um, that address um, generally not so much LGBT themes and um, and certainly nothing like this before. And so I think they were super brave and imagination is so gung-ho. It is delightful. Do you want a good behind the scenes story? Oh, I would love a good behind the scenes story. <laughs> 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 the magic do you do you do you know that you're on the children's book podcast with, <laughs> and that all I do is live for the behind the scenes? <laughs> and uh, so our agent is Deborah Warren of East Coast, okay. and um, we sent the manuscript to her for uh, Jacob's new dress, and she said it's really nice. She said, but I don't think there's an audience for this. And we said, what do you mean? There's an audience for this? And she said, look, Sarah, Ian. I work in commercial publishing. Um, I need to, if I'm going to walk into some publisher's office and say, you need to buy this book, I need to know that they can sell this book. And I'm not familiar with this topic at all. You know, this is a decade ago. And uh, she's like, this is what you need to tell me that this is really going to sell. We said, give us two weeks. So for two weeks, we just gathered information, you know, articles from papers, you know, the number of people subscribed to different listservs, everything else. We put it into a really neat package for her. We sent it to her. Um, two days later, she got back on the phone with us. She goes, okay, I get it, and I know where to take it. And she had it sold within two weeks. Whoa. So, way, to, way to do the math. I also, I want to be you know, thankful for that agent thing and do that call out for Deborah because she was the one we had to convince, and she was also the one who taught us that you know, we can't just preach to the choir. If we want this book to be, to talk to people, we've got to talk to people who are not familiar with the subject. And I feel that pushback again is positive for Deborah to say, why would this sell? Show me that it would sell because, because that's a viable thing to say. Sometimes we are so close to the source material that it's hugely important to us, but it's, it's perhaps harder for people that aren't attached to it to, to feel that it's important. Right. I mean, I constantly think about um, for individuals who are not queer, who are gender conforming, who are, cause I, I need to also make sure that I'm not, I'm not um, m- mixing in any sort of um, sexual orientation with gender identity. I'm, I'm not trying to cross those over, but um, for those that, that are heterogender conforming and that are, that have always gone into the gender assigned bathroom that they, um, you know, connect with. It just is, I feel like it's hard to, boy, I'm really, can you tell like I'm sweating? Cause this is like a personal and like, I'm really fearful thing for me to talk about. I want to get it right. But it, I feel like this is something that a lot of people don't understand and that I applaud the individuals who can look outside of themselves and see the other people that, that 
that need to be seen, gender non-conforming individuals, people whose stories just have not been your story or feel so different from your story. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the way I'm going to just jump right back to it, that the way that Miss Reeves shows the way or not even shows the way provides the environment for her students to ask or question or wonder or see themselves is so powerful. Do you, do you mind if I share what, what goes on in the story? Because I don't want to like deliberately spoil, but in this case, we're, you know, we're as we're recording, we're like deep into teacher appreciation week. And all I keep thinking about is the power of a good teacher and you both are are, are showing the way through Miss Reeves showing the way for her you know class. That, did you know that she's real? <laughs> Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from the Highlights Foundation. The Highlights Foundation is excited to be hosting an important event this June 14 to 16 building cultural competency in today's children's publishing industry, a working symposium. They've put together a stellar faculty of changemakers to guide you, including Edith Campbell, librarian and social justice advocate, Dr. Debbie Reese, educator and author, Renee Watson, author, educator and activist, Paula Yu, author and TV writer-producer, Dr. Laura M. Jimenez, educator and reviewer, and Dr. Marisala Jimenez-Garcia, author and educator. Space is limited, so be sure to register for this exciting working symposium today. Visit highlightsfoundation.org slash programs. That's highlightsfoundation.org slash programs. Did you know that she's real? <laughs> no, I do not know that she's real. Is she, was she Sam's teacher? She, she was Sam's kindergarten teacher. She did not do this lesson. Um, this is a lesson that's fictional that, you know, we invented, but she did other lessons. And she's the one who taught us that education works. So she did really simple work with these kids. They were five years old. And we realized not only that education works, but it actually doesn't take that much. So one of the first things she did was she held up a picture of a little kid about the age of the kids in the class with short hair. And she said, is this a boy or a girl? And they all said, it's a boy. And she said, actually, that's me when I was in kindergarten. And they were like, no way, were you a boy? That, that, you know, they're freaking out. And, and she says, well, are, do any of the girls in this class have short hair? And they look around and a couple of them do. And then they look at Sam and realize, oh, he has, he has long hair. And then she talked about colors and you know, explored this idea of are there girl colors and boy colors? And at first they're like, pink is for girls and Sam can't wear pink. And then, you know, five minutes later, they're like, colors are for everyone. I mean, it was just so <laughs> easy. I mean, maybe these are San Francisco kids who are really primed, but what we have seen everywhere actually is that when you teach kids to be accepting and that it's okay and that they don't have to accept the stereotype that maybe they've been handed when they walk into the target toy aisle um they're completely open to the idea and they see that there's no harm in accepting someone who doesn't fit the stereotype that they're used to and so she blew us away that ms reeves and um she is indeed a real person and she's still in our lives and she wept when we sent her a copy of the book she's so proud to have been memorialized as this person who made such a difference the funny I thing am... 
I'm I'm amazed. I, I'm sorry, Eden. I just had to jump in to say how impressed and I'm and amazed I am that that Sam not only has these loving parents that that see who he is and how he wants to express himself and allows and you both allow that space, but also the first teacher in Sam's life is this incredible person who just shined a light and showed the way. Well, I will say that his very first teacher in preschool had some pretty traditional ideas. And Uh, on the very first day of preschool, he walked over to the dress-up area and picked out a fanciful flowered floppy hat and put it on his head while he played with the dinosaurs. She did not like that one bit. So we have had, you know, we've had good and bad. And also while we had the lovely Ms. Reeves, we also had a principal who was, um, uh, how shall I say, not supportive. (laughs) And, um, and when, you know, it's another, it's a story for another time, but when Sam was having trouble in the bathrooms he actually said to us, you know, he's going to have to choose. Is he a boy or is he a girl? And we thought, no, actually, you're going to have to choose if you support this kid or not. We're not going to force him to be one gender or the other if that's not who he is. Um, and so anyway, we have had we've had hmm. a mix of, I would say, mostly supportive teachers and administrators and some um, not shining stars. <laughs> Not shining stars. Well, that I feel like is. That's the I kind mean, of here therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that's 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 well, where we are though. Just because you're recording. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, the I I, I will say in thinking of <laughs> all the things that Mister Rogers taught me about. inclusivity and just modeling by showing that um i know that there are plenty of people that that aren't on sam's side jacob's side the children there are two children that i keep wanting to name in my school that i will not name out of respect for them but i feel so grateful to be teaching them and loving them and seeing them in this book constantly uh two of my gender non-conforming students and I am grateful to see to see children in all different ways of understanding themselves and exploring their identity at my school and feeling grateful that I'm seeing it reflected in children's literature, but also knowing that I know that there's no way every friend, every teacher, every parent that they're encountering, every adult that they're encountering is is making the space for them that that I wish they would but yeah. Sarah but Ian making books like this and having publishers and agents that get behind them and help them get published is is helping is is helping pave that way because unfortunately I mean we do all this coding we're we adults are the ones that 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 you know code everything for children that that make them uh, you know assume that a color is for one type of person or a clothing is for another type of person and um and i think that sometimes adults though we it's our experiences growing up so unfortunately we don't we don't see our ignorances or how the way we are seeing the world might be hurting another person or or blocking another person out from having a human experience in the world so i'm grateful again that 
that your books are helping to open that space for for children and also the adults that are in their lives. Yeah, and I'm so grateful that you are there for those two kids in your school right. and for all the other kids as well because I think when you know, I think when we talk about topics of diversity in children's literature, it it isn't just that particular type of diversity we're talking about. I think kids can see they can extrapolate difference to the other ways that they're different, but especially for those two kids, I think your presence and your support is huge. Do you know about this research project, the Family Acceptance Project? No, I haven't heard of that. So um, a woman named Caitlin Ryan did it at San Francisco State a few years back, and it looked at the health and the mental health outcomes of kids who were LGBT, who had support or didn't have support, and compared them to non-LGBT kids. And what she found is that the kids who were LGBT but had support in their families or communities in some form had the same sort of health and mental health outcomes as the straight kids. But um, when they had less and less support all the way down to no support, that that's when you started seeing all the negative health and mental health outcomes, drug use, suicidality, self-harm, etc. But the amazing thing, right, but this seems obvious, right? But the amazing thing that I love about this study is that she could show, she had this amazing mathematical model that showed that a little bit of support meant a little bit better outcome. So they had a grandma who didn't condemn them, even though their whole family did. They had a pastor at church who would smile at them every week. They had a children's librarian who would love them all up, that each bit of support actually made a visible difference in the graph of health and mental health outcomes. So you're actually making a difference that we could chart if we applied Caitlin Ryan's mathematical model to the kids in your school. It's so mm. cool. That is cool. I think about, uh, I think about so much that I think I'm not ready to divulge on the podcast, but just to say that there are, there is so much assuming that we all do when we look at one another and when we read one another and when we code one another. And I think that there's a lot to be said in, within this book as well, leading into teachers not operating in the binary in their classrooms and in schools at large. And um, I see in one of my favorite spreads in your book is, is at the end where uh, we read new bathroom signs went up. The bunny signs were funny. And they're referring to a child holding a bunny sign that says bathrooms are for everybody. Um, but there's also, what's that? I love that sign. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's also signs that just say plainly bathroom with a urinal and bathroom without a urinal. And I think there you're again showing the way for adults perhaps that don't that can't conceptualize because they've grown up in a world. We've grown up in a world where there've been two kinds of bathrooms, one with a stick figure with bodies going straight down and one with a stick figure with a triangle on the bottom. Yeah. And, um, and those mean things. And then that means that, that you have to decide what that symbol means to you and how you identify. Yeah. And that's just the way we've gotten into operating, but we could look at it there's just other ways, more operative ways that we could look at it that can make space for others and um, 
you know, I, I shared this book, um, at the beginning of the year, and I encourage other librarians listening, uh, those that are listening, and teachers that are listening, that we celebrate, ALA celebrates Banned Books Week at the beginning of every school year. And it's a time to really lean in and tell children, um, we're reading these books that are banned in other parts of the country. And let's talk about why, why you think they're banned. And often children, like you were pointing out in Sam's kindergarten experience, just sort of think that it's a little silly that they would be banned at all once they reflect on their own experience where they fit into the story it starts to they start to realize this this doesn't quite make sense um but we have these real conversations in this case whenever i'm talking about uh lgbtq centered books which i tend to lean toward when i'm talking banned books week it almost always comes down to fear they're they're afraid they're afraid um that a parent might make the school difficult or that um, people will be upset or that they're just, they're afraid because they don't understand. And I think that those kind of conversations also help open up empathy for people that don't understand, but hopefully provide a space for children to know that their voices, they need to help show us the way and they need to speak up and, and not, you know, not be afraid to. I think one way to help adults get that kind of empathy is to remember that it wasn't, wasn't very long ago that bathrooms used to be labeled white and colored. And, you know, we don't see that anymore. And um, it wasn't until 2011 that Congress had to add a women's restroom near the House floor because suddenly they had 76 women serving the House of Representatives. 2011 is not that long ago. Not that long ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as society changes, so do the bathrooms. And, you know, so this isn't an issue that's going away. More gender-conforming, non-conforming people are going to decide to live openly. And schools and institutions will have to adjust to their existence and make changes. Um, but I'd like to go back to that thing, that word that used coding. Um, it's very normal for people to code, and especially to code for children, because you can think back to when you were at that time you were playing with your toddler on the playground and you had to explain that sand does not go in your mouth, right? It is not a food, but this banana that I'm handing you does go in your mouth. So a child's whole job is to figure out like, what is what, what goes in what box? And, um, and part of the effort of our books is just to expand that range of boxes um, so that people can see that, that there are other options. Have you, was, was Jacob's New Dress your first book uh, published? Um, it was our first book published, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I I'm sorry. Separately than that, but it got to a, a, a reputable press, but it got orphaned, sadly. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> I, me too. <laughs> well, I think it says something to be stepping out on a book that, did, did you, I, I, I don't want to make assumptions, but did you, did you expect the book would be a banned book? We had no idea. You know, we had oh, this okay. great marketing guy, the Jason Wells of Albert Whitman, mm. who said um, he was a really, he, he had a traditional background. He did not have history of, you know, lobbying for radical books, but he just had this great instinctive sense. And he said, this is going to be an evergreen. And I didn't even know what that term <laughs> meant. And he was right. Jacob has sold steadily in exactly the same amount. There have been different boosts. You know, if it gets banned in North Carolina, we sell more books that week. But 
um, but it's basically just continued to sell exactly has how it sold since the beginning when it came out in in 2014. Um, we really had no idea. This was our first entrance into the field, and we knew people might have an issue with it. Um, but it's almost the same thing going into the second book. While we have a little more experience, we don't know. It's a touchier topic. How much are going to people are people going to freak out? Do you really think it's a touchier topic? I think it is. I think people really have problems with bathrooms. It feels invasive. I I I am willing to bet the idea that you're in this space doing this private thing. Let me just speak. I want to just speak directly because now I'm coding and I need to be careful of that. So I was recently at a writing conference and they had a um, gender non-assigned bathroom and a women's bathroom. Okay. Which means that, you know, there's a smaller portion of men there. So then they open that bathroom up for either. Absolutely fine. Um, If the, if men wanted uh, a, a men labeled bathroom, there's one downstairs. Um, but in that, in that space where there were, I think a bank of three urinals and then a number of stalls, I saw even in that space, rushing to, from not making eye contact, coming out of the door, things like that, where there was, there's a feeling I, I would assume, or I would guess of, of, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm going to hurry as fast as I can because I don't want someone to catch me in a potentially embarrassing situation. Yeah, I think part of that, though, is because we're not used to it. You know, I think we should have this conversation in 10 years um, and see where we are because it is it's hard to change. Right. It's hard for individuals. It's hard. It's hard to change. I would agree. It's hard to change. And we want to give people the space for that because. Um, it is, we, we admit it. And that's why, you know, Ian saying that coding is natural. The, um, understanding what box contains, what is a sort of part of becoming a civilized person. So when we say, well, wait, let's change these boxes. It's confusing for people. And I get that. So part of how we try and have an effective message is to just keep it simple. So you mentioned the signs in the book and one of the book, one of the signs simply says, leave kids alone in the bathroom. And to me, that's really what this whole message is about. Um, That regardless of what adults' issues are, or our fears, or our panics about what changes around bathroom culture are going to mean, the bottom line is we need to leave kids alone and stop yelling at them or calling them out because you think they're in the wrong place just because they look different than you expect. That's one thing if you don't feel safe. But the truth is, if there's a five-year-old in a bathroom, in a boy's bathroom wearing a dress, that's not someone who's likely to harm anybody. And um, I think going back to this rule of leave kids alone is, is, you know, safe. And where am I going? I'm starting to stumble. It's simple. It's, it's simple. It really, I'm going. Is it really is. Simple. And I want to say something about these signs. Um, we didn't write them. This is, is that incorrect? That we gave suggestions for them. Okay. So, we gave some, we gave some suggestions, but a lot of them came from Chris Case and which is another one. <laughs> We love him. This little, the two toilets with the rainbow coming out of them. We did not create. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, well done, Chris. I know. We love Chris. 
the T-Rex that says, I have to be, so let me be. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they're so good. Like, they're really, yeah. really tapped in. They're so good. Yeah. Oh. Well, I, I heard something you said to another thing, um, Sarah, that was resonating with me, that you said that you aren't pushing people, that you're going slow, that you know it takes time. And I wonder, I wonder how you and Ian arrive at that place, knowing that you want, you want to make space for our gender nonconforming kids and our LGBTQ kids. But at the same time, you want to not push too hard so as to maybe turn someone off from the message. How, 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 what's the journey been like to, to find that balance? So partly it's, um, it's how we present ourselves. So we write under pen names, which was a choice that we made for safety's sake when Sam was little. Also, and Sam, you know, wasn't old enough to give informed consent over his life story. So we didn't feel like we could tell his story, you know, at that point. And still, you know, he's 17 now. And we asked him recently when this book was coming out, do you want us to continue using our pen names? And he said, yes. So um, so we want to give him that agency over it. But one of the things that using a pen name has given us is the ability to cultivate a new personality. And while we pretty much are ourselves, um, we try and let Sarah and Ian be a little more vanilla, a little more mainstream, a little more acceptable. Um, in fact, we don't share a last name in real life. And, um, you know, what do normal people do? Uh, the woman takes the man's last name. That's how we decided. Actually, that's not true. I, I came up with Sarah Hoffman when I was writing for adults. And then when, <clears throat> when Ian joined, we just, we made him my husband, but, um, we could have made actually it turned to me and said, how about Ian for you? And I said, I think I can remember that. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <lot of> <laughs> so, but there was the part about that that was conscious was wanting to be as quote unquote, normal as possible so that we could appeal to as broad a range of people as possible. Because we think the most important audience for our work are the people who don't, well, how do I say it? The people who are on the cusp of agreeing with us, right? There are those who oppose us, who are so vehemently and violently against us um, that we're never going to convince. And we're not too worried about those people. We just are, I think, never going to share language and values. Um, or who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Um, there's not that much point preaching to the converted, although we are all always happy to talk amongst our peers. Um, but the people who are, you know, good hearted, lovely people who've maybe just never thought of this stuff before, or think it's a little weird and gross, but, oh wait, or maybe their nephew kind of like this. So they want to learn about it. Um, it's those people who we have, I think, most prioritized reaching. If that, do you think that's accurate? I'd say the people we've most prioritized reaching are the kids who are like this. I yeah. Mean, so they know they have support. So that they have, can see themselves in the book, but yeah, yeah adults buy books. Yeah, exactly. It's the adults who have to you have to talk to, and this is something we went through with our, with our own families. You know, this is something we went through ourselves. We didn't know why our son wanted to wear a dress. We didn't know whether that was safe. We didn't know where it went, and we found other parents to talk to, and um, had to work through these things and say, you know, we, I think, are more accepting than the parents in the books are, but uh, this is our journey too. I I feel 
so grateful to have had the chance to sit down with both of you and talk and to hear and to learn um, from you both and from your journey and from your stories so far and from the stories Jacob has shared with us so far. And I hope that um, there will be more stories with Jacob and more learning alongside Jacob. And just thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Ian, for for everything, for for your words, and more importantly, I think the way the way you're carrying on in life. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Did you have a final question for us? <laughs> oh, I always do because we we've done this is a special one, right? Because normally I get lost in the conversation, and it's just like adult time, nerding out over books. But I swear I have not lost track of those two children probably because one of them i just saw today but i just can't stop thinking about them so i'm going to ask you this question and i'm <laughs> i'm maybe even more just thinking about about the the faces that are right in front of me but uh sarah i'll start with you i will see a library full of children tomorrow morning is there a message that i can bring to them from you yes yes there is thank you for asking <laughs> I think the message that we want to share is that everybody needs to use the bathroom. So please let them do so in peace. Because you don't want to be bothered when you're in the bathroom and nobody else wants to be bothered either. <laughs> I I think that's a solid one. Ian, can I ask you the same? Is there a message uh, that I can bring to the students from you? Yeah. And it's something we often sign our books with, which is be kind to each other. This is Mariana Llanos, author of the books Tristan Wolf and Poesia Alada, among others. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear Care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of my patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and keeping the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Jenny, Sue, Amy, Sarah, Kate, Lisa, Darshna, Marianne, Jarrett, Anitra, Mike, Lynn, Link, Karina, Cynthia, Elaine, Doug, Judy, Amanda, Ruth, Laura, Teresa, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to come with us, too. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast.
Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.